Hey, boss fam. Thanks for tuning in. You're about to listen to one of the OG episodes from back when this podcast was called The Everything Enthusiast, and I identified as a creativity and mindset coach for multi-passionates. I tell you this because I may use the term everything enthusiast a lot and say some other stuff about my offers and motivations that might be different from my new identity. But you get me. Reinventing ourselves is what we multi-passionates do best. So thanks for being here and enjoy the episode. Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 11. I am your host, Jenny O'Connor. And for those of you that don't know, I write and create courses about mastering your mindset so you can stop settling for less, start asking for more, and finally do the thing that scares you. You know, like taking a leap by leaving a job that's sucking your soul away to pursue a creative path you love exactly the kinds of things that we talk about on this show. If you are already subscribed, thank you. Thank you. And if you're just tuning in for the first time, be sure to hit subscribe because I am all about the tips and tricks in the upcoming weeks. I've got an episode on how to stop being so damned busy coming at you soon. And I think so many people will find it useful. Today, we are talking about the mistaken assumptions that make us commitment phobic. So I talked about commitment phobes in episode two, the WTF episode, because that word gets ascribed to everything enthusiasts all the time. And it's a gross word. It always just makes me think of the like guys that can't commit who are gross and have a revolving door of, of women that they're not honest with the other women about. And I am, I know it's not gender specific. (laughs) This is a gender neutral uh, trait, but that's just a testament to the kind of relationships I've had, obviously. (laughs) Um, But I just can't find a scenario in which this word is used in a complimentary fashion. It just isn't. It's something that you don't want to have assigned to you as a person. And that's why I think it sucks that people who are multi-passionate have this word slapped on them all the time. And so this episode is here to take away some of those limiting beliefs that might have caused commitment phobic behavior for you in the past um, so that you can can move forward and start doing things and, and not not let that be true for you. So we're going to talk about five mistaken assumptions. And the first one, the first one's a big one. You must choose one and only one path in life. We are taught this from a really young age, probably from our parents who did that very thing. And we don't question it. And so many of our limiting beliefs come from the people who raised us, not their fault. They got theirs from the people before them who raised them. Um, But we don't question these things until later in life when someone tells us that we ought to. And then we're like, huh. So my stepdaughter came home from the first day of eighth grade and told us that she had gone to her AVID class. AVID apparently is a program that gets kids in high school ready for college. It helps them with college eligibility and sets them up for success. And she said, my AVID teacher says that by the end of the year... I need to know what I want to be when I grow up. And I just guffawed. (laughs) 
I said, child, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. So take that pressure off yourself right now. And I just thought it was a big mistake to imply to a 14 year old kid that that was a pressure she needed to put on herself right now. And so I, I implore you, if you have children, um, to, to let them explore and to encourage them to explore because, cause God, that's a lot of pressure. And, and it is even when they're 17 and they're applying to colleges, because quite frankly, at 17, 18, they're, frontal lobe hasn't fully developed yet. And the frontal lobe is where we manage higher level executive functions like the capacity to plan and organize and initiate and control your responses in order to achieve a goal. So essentially our decision making region of our brain is not fully formed at that age when kids are going into college and required to declare a major. So nothing like telling kids that don't even have the ability yet that they need to decide something as important as what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. (laughs) I understand the time sensitivity of it. That's just how the, you know, system is set up, but it, makes so much sense that so many kids change their majors, you know, and, or, or come out with a degree in something and never actually use that degree. This, this is the explanation for why that happens. The simple fact is almost nobody chooses one and only one path in life anymore. It's an antiquated notion. If you need proof of that, there are websites all over the interwebs focused on helping people leave one career behind and find what their next chapter is going to be. There is a website called Leave Law Behind that helps unhappy attorneys leave the law. There's another one called Teacher Career Coach. And these sites exist in spades. So that is just proof that many, many successful people change directions in their life. And so that's nothing to feel ashamed about if you're feeling like you're ready for a transition yourself, or if you feel like you ended up in something that isn't, isn't the thing that you love. I I hear stories about this kind of thing from people all of the time. So here's an example. Long before his name became synonymous with the modern legal thriller, John Grisham was working 70 hours a week at a small Mississippi law practice, squeezing in time before going into the office and during courtroom recesses to work on his hobby, writing his first novel. So there you have it. And how many attorneys have turned into successful novelists? (laughs) Like The list was actually quite long. I just knew that John Grisham was the one that uh, had maybe the most name recognition. So that right there is a pressure that you can take off yourself to choose one and only one path in life. Almost nobody does it. So mistake, mistaken assumption. Number one, poof out the door. Number two, everything you love has to be a career. So doing something for pleasure doesn't count is self-indulgent and you don't have time to be self-indulgent. I am on a mission to bring back art for art's sake. And precisely because I am so damn bad at it. (laughs) I have always been of the mind that something is not worth doing unless there's some kind of end game. 
you know, I want this thing that I'm pouring my heart into to make money. And that is a like lovely idea, but it's, it can suck the joy out of something that is supposed to be joyous. Art for art's sake is so relaxing and therapeutic and can increase your life fulfillment. So this is a lesson I am learning for myself kind of as we speak. And my first sort of foray into this is I'm working on a paint by number right now, which has no purpose other than to one day grace the walls of my condo. So I am attempting to practice what I preach here because the bottom line is it is okay to pick something at which you can make a living that doesn't take up all of your time and then pursue your other interests in your off time. So don't make the mistake of believing that doing something for pleasure means that you take it less seriously. Perfect example of this. Leonardo da Vinci was never paid for the airplane or the submarine that he designed, but I don't think that makes those projects any less significant for him or makes him any less serious about them. And I I would certainly feel like it was wrong if I referred to either of those pursuits as just mere hobbies. Those are just his hobbies. <laughs> so that is how we should treat our, you know, I say side hustle, but that again implies that you're making money from it. But your your side passions, the the little things that light you up you know, maybe at the end of the week, over the weekend, after you've put in your, you know, hard earned 40 hours a week or whatnot, it is always an okay option to get a good enough job and and do what you love on the side. So don't think everything you love has to be a career. That's, that's mistaken assumption. Number two, number three, if you are not in love with your job, it will be a living hell. This might make you hesitate to choose a profession if it doesn't have a lot of variety to keep you endlessly interested for decades. Or it might make you think that now that being a doctor, let's say, has lost its luster, that you're stuck in it for a miserable multiple more decades. But in today's age, people have gotten so creative about coming up with new career definitions for themselves, which describe them to a T and have the added benefit of ensuring that they have almost no competition. I mean, people that have sort of like managed to morph three careers into one and literally no one on earth does what they do. This is becoming a greater and greater possibility for all of us. Barbara Sher talks about in her book, Refuse to Choose, how she met an accountant who had a dream of being a cowboy. And when he discovered that ranchers need accounting services, just like other business people, he found one who would let him legit spend his days herding cattle and his night doing the, his nights doing the books. Don't you just love that? I just think that that is such, it's such a great way to combine your passions and make a living and, you know, live your best life. I think it's awesome. One of my favorite examples of this is a guy named Jeff Harry. And one day I'm going to have Jeff on the show and you guys are going to see why he's just the most fun human being on the planet. I will put his socials in the show notes because you, you, you need to follow him on Instagram. It's awesome. When he was a kid, he saw the movie big as many of us did and decided that he, that's, 
that's what he was going to do. He was going to work for a toy company when he grew up. He started spamming toy companies in fifth grade before spam was even a thing. He was sending multiple hand-typed letters to these toy companies asking them for a job. And he was ignored and ignored and ignored. And then one day, one company wrote him back and told him that if he wanted to be a toy designer, he should get a job or he should go to school for mechanical engineering, which he did. And he hated it, but he just, he just kept trying and he kept contacting toy companies and he finally got a job at Toys R Us corporate and, you know, thought he'd be a toy designer. And he was sitting in a meeting, a board meeting one day and just realized that this was nothing like what he imagined and that the people that he was working with were like super out of touch. And it it wasn't, it wasn't the fun environment that he thought he was walking into and he actually left and he went to a couple other toy companies and all of them were the same. And he ended up finding a group of guys. He describes them as a bunch of nerds on Craigslist who were teaching kids engineering with Legos. And they were like, Hey man, if you want to come be a part of this. And a couple years later, it was like a group 400 strong and they were getting more and more traction and eyes on their business and cut to today. Jeff Harry works with adults to remove toxicity in the workplace through play. So he literally plays for a living and teaches grownups how to do it because so many of us have lost touch with our inner child. And this is the best, the best story. If, if you are deeply invested in a job that you don't love, can you take that experience and utilize it in a way that better suits you? Can you work as a consultant while sitting on a beach in the Caribbean? People do this. You just have to shoot for the stars and not take no for an answer. And I know that sounds like I'm oversimplifying things, but I think that the lesson here is, is, I mean, that's, that is how Jeff Harry got to play for a living by pivoting when things weren't working, by reinventing himself when this position wasn't exactly the right fit and by not taking no for an answer. So if you want something badly enough and you have an area of expertise that you think you can continue to utilize, you know, you can, invent your own job. It, it It's possible. And I just think that that's a really lovely idea that gets us out of that assumption that if you don't love the job you're in now, it's, it's going to be hell on earth for the rest of your life or for the rest of your working life. All right. Mistaken assumption number four, you have to get it right because every career choice requires a huge investment of time and money. Okay. Let's break this down. Huge investment of time? Maybe. But what difference does it make if you love what you're doing? I wrote a blog post and sent out a newsletter on a weekly basis for over a year before anyone started paying attention. Like anyone other than my mom. And I'm pretty sure there were weeks when my mom wasn't paying attention. And there were absolutely times when that bummed me out and when I felt like I was shouting into a void and it made me question my entire existence. But the truth is the work I was doing lit me up and I was learning while I was doing it. I was reading these books from all these greats on, you know, mindset mastery and habit formation and how to squash imposter syndrome. And so I was definitely getting something out of it. And then I was condensing that down and putting my own voice 
um, you know, over these, these little digestible lessons and shooting them back out into the world. And I just remained convinced that what I was doing mattered, but it took a year for strangers to start taking notice and it might take you less or more, but if it's work you would do for free anyway, who cares? Right. So, you know, maybe you have to keep your day job until you gain traction. And, and that's, that's a perfectly reasonable expectation. But I'm convinced that if your side hustle lights you up, you can't not keep doing it. Right. So problem number two, the other side of this is, is let's say that the thing you are considering is a huge investment of money. That's the case before you apply to grad school or buy an expensive online course to train for a new industry. Ask yourself the following questions. What kind of work will I actually do? Is training really necessary? Also keep in mind that buying programs or heading back to school is so straightforward that it can often serve as a security blanket for a lot of people. It allows you to learn indefinitely and put off the actual doing of a thing. And I'm super guilty of this. <laughs> like deciding I'll be ready if I just take this one additional course and then I don't actually have to do it or put myself out there. I'm just, I'm, once I'm done with this course, I'll do it. This is something that I think a lot of people fall victim to. Eventually you just have to act, but there is absolutely a period of time where gathering information is critical. And so to avoid stalling over the conundrum of, oh my gosh, this is going to be a huge financial investment, conduct informational interviews on your career choice. So seek mentorships, volunteer positions, internships, and try to get the inside scoop. And that way you can do all of that without taking, you know, a leap into that giant financial investment. Learn everything you can before you sign up for something and you'll be good to go. So a great exercise is to go to your scanner planner. I talk all about scanner planners in episode four, if you want to check that out and write out your ideal work day in vivid detail. So what time will your day begin? What will your workspace look like? When will you have your meetings? What will they be about? Et cetera, et cetera. And then once you have that fantasy fully fleshed out, interview people who do what you do or something similar to see if that is in fact what it's really like. If you can't see your ideal day clearly in that kind of vivid detail, you're not ready to take that job yet, which is totally fine. You're just, again, in the information gathering stage. So that's where you're asking anyone and everyone you know, anyone who will listen if they know someone in the industry that you're considering. And then when you get connected to that person, ask them if you can bend their ear for a little bit, take them out to coffee or lunch, ideally shadow them, volunteer for a few hours a week. And Quite frankly, if at this stage, your only investment is volunteering for a couple hours a week, like on the weekend to see if you like a thing, you won't have those sunk costs. And that this is the saddest thing I see you guys is people engaged in the sunk cost fallacy, which means continuing a behavior or an endeavor that is wholly unfulfilling because they've invested resources like time, money, or effort because those costs are, they're spent. They cannot be retrieved. They shouldn't factor into future decisions. It's literally like ordering too much food and then stuffing yourself just to get your money's worth. If the costs of continuing a thing outweigh the benefits, i.e. you're miserable and question your existence every day, you're lending too much credence 
to that money and time that's already invested that you can't get back anyway. And it's so many people. I've done it. I have absolutely been guilty of this. But if this is you, if you know that you are feel like stuck in your life right now because like you have spent so much time on a thing or you feel like moving forward in any new direction will cost you to have to invest a lot of money, don't feel bad. Research shows that even rats and mice take into account sunk costs after they've made the decision to pursue a reward. I just found that so interesting that it's not strictly a human conundrum. It actually (laughs) affects other species. So just do your best to to find out all the information that you can so that you don't get stuck in the, in the sunk cost conundrum, um, or feel frozen about moving forward because of investments you think that you might have to make. All right. Mistaken assumption. Number five, if you are not passionate to the point of obsession, you'll never be content to give up all your other interests. So right now, let yourself off the hook for finding one all-encompassing passion that lasts forever. Most of us, as everything enthusiasts, we thrive in new environments. That is like a characteristic that we all have in common. So very often times when things become comfortable and easy for us, we no longer feel the job is a fit. That's when we have gotten our reward and we're ready to go on to the next thing. So if you tell yourself that everything you love has to be the be all end all, the big passion, the final choice, you will miss out on the joy of simply doing things that you love. So how would it feel instead to forget about finding your big passion and then just enjoy the delightful fact that you can learn anything you like whenever you like, and your life can be filled with variety and excitement. Doesn't that sound better? So inside all of us, all of us, everything enthusiasts, there exists a little bit of, of Peter Pan. We're a little bit childlike because when a new interest gets our attention, we pursue it with childlike enthusiasm. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I don't think that's something we should try to eradicate or, or stuff down or ignore because as grownups, we've just lost lost touch in so many ways with our inner child. Again, a reason why Jeff Harry is on this earth for, for a very, very good purpose. And by allowing ourselves to pursue a lot of different things, we get to make contact with that inner child more often. Um, so, so you will never find one thing that makes you content to give up all your interests, nor should you. So keep that in mind. It's not about finding one thing that makes you want to forget everything else because quite frankly, that will never happen. So that kind of wraps it up, you guys. I hope that that will help you feel a little bit unstuck if you find that you have felt commitment phobic in the past. Hopefully you can start to make some moves towards doing some things that really light you up inside. I have a word of the day. It is waggish. Haha. <laughs> waggish. W-A-G-G-I-S-H. And it means humorous in a playful, mischievous, or facetious manner. I swear, you guys, I have a file 
called beautiful words because I'm, I'm obsessed with language and with, you know, using these words in a novel one day, except that I don't think that anyone would know what they meant. And they would just be like, I'm, this is, I'm not going to read this. <laughs> and the funny thing is that some of these words haven't actually sounded beautiful, but their meanings are beautiful. So whether they're beautiful words or beautiful definitions, um, either way they fit the bill, but I go to this file and sometimes a word, a word just jumps out at me and is like, hello, I am the word for episode 11. And I really felt that way about waggish humor is in a playful, mischievous or facetious manner. So you might say, while Brad seems serious, when you first meet him, he becomes quite waggish once he gets comfortable. Just thought that one really fit what we talked about today. So this episode was largely about shifting your mindset And I have a project that I've been working on that's a little bit unrelated, but also not. Um, I created a money mindset quiz. I recently came to discover that a lot of amazing, talented, successful people that I know have limiting beliefs around money. And it kind of made me wonder if I did too. And I just concluded the, uh, Deepak Chopra 21 days to abundance meditation challenge. So it's all just kind of been on my mind and I went ahead and created a free quiz with it. It will take you two minutes, 10 questions that you answer true or false that help you determine whether or not you have beliefs that are actually standing in the way of you bringing more abundance into your life. And again, limiting beliefs are things that you somehow absorbed from the environment around you when you were little. Don't even know they're there. They like sit underneath the level of your consciousness, but they actually create your financial reality. So how liberating would it be to free yourself from some of these that are standing in the way of you having everything that you want? by taking this quiz. So I created that for you guys. If you want to check it out and when you're done, you can actually click on a link that takes you to a page that will help you overwrite any of the limiting beliefs that you do have to something more positive. And this works, you guys. In the course of going through the abundance challenge with the Chopra Center, I got a check in the mail for a settlement for a class action lawsuit that was not a small amount of money. And it was just totally unexpected. Came as a gift from the universe. This stuff absolutely works. So I suggest if that's something that you struggle with, that you check it out. And you can find it at jennyoconnor.com forward slash money. Until next time, remember, there are seven days in a week and someday isn't one of them. Now get on out there and do the thing.